Today we're going to focus particularly on a man and how God works through this man. And of course, uh, in Genesis 19, we have this man named Lot. Now, to kind of catch you up to speed here, there's been about 15 years that have transpired in Lot's life from the last time we saw him back in Genesis 14 now to Genesis chapter 19. About 15 years have transpired. And here we see a very defiled and tragic scene. Horrible. In fact, chapter 19 of Genesis here uh, is considered by many to be the most terrible chapter in the entire Bible. So what can we learn from a terrible chapter in the Bible? (laughs) Well, one of the things we're going to learn, here's my proposition for you today, is this, that God wants you to avoid worldliness. God wants you to avoid worldliness. Now, let me just talk about worldliness for a moment. What is it? I think 1 John 2 really helps us to understand what it means to be worldly, because it, it says, it commands us there, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. And what that is, is it's not talking about planet Earth. It's not talking about the people on planet Earth. When the Bible uses world there, what it means to be worldly is it's talking about this system that we live in, the system of values, beliefs, and philosophies that are opposed to God. And 1 John 2 goes on to talk about when when we're worldly, it, it means we're loving those things in the world, and particularly the three kinds of sin mentioned there, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So if you're loving those desires of your sin nature and the things you see and things you want that you aspire to more than God, then you are worldly. And that's exactly what has happened to Lot. And there are some things that we need to be aware of here. How do we become worldly? Well, we want to avoid that. Well, there's some lessons to be learned here. Uh, First of all, we need to beware of spiritual drifting. Beware of spiritual drifting. Now, why do I say that? Well, look at verse 1, chapter 19, verse 1. Because we have these two angels that have already visited Abraham back in chapter 18. And, and the pre-incarnate Christ has sent them to Sodom to rescue Lot. So here they come. They've already been with Abraham. And they come to Sodom. And verse 1 says, These two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So do you notice where he is? <laughs> Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now, I'll explain the significance of that in a moment, but that's not a good place for someone who is a Christian to be. How did he get there? Well, you need to understand the course of Lot's life is just one long slide downhill. It just didn't just happen all of a sudden. There was some series of steps that we have seen in the book of Genesis. He ends up in this place, this horrible, wicked place. Well, the first step in Lot's fall is he he looked toward Sodom. If you look at chapter 13, verse 10, that's what it says. He looks toward Sodom. This, by the way, was, don't think of it as some, just some casual glance. He, he just happened to get a glance of Sodom. No, what this means is he, 
he's actually looking at the city of Sodom with a deep longing and desire in his heart. He's not content to live life with his uncle Abraham up there in the mountain. (laughs) He's not content to live in tents. He wanted a more exciting life in the big city, so to speak. And besides that, he could see the well-watered plains there. And the city was situated near the best land. And when his uncle Abraham offers him the best land, he looks at that and says, I want it. So he looks towards Sodom. And the second step is he pitched his tents near Sodom in chapter 13, verse 12. And at this point in Lot's life, if you had asked him at at that particular time why he was living in Sodom, or, or living, I should say, near Sodom, he's not actually in it yet, he probably would have explained to you that, that Sodom was a very wicked city. That's how God describes it. And he didn't want to get too involved in that the wickedness of that city. He didn't want to become wicked So that's the second step. He's getting closer. He's not just looking and glancing with desire for it. Now he's he's moving closer and closer. And then the third step is is we see Lot is actually seen here living in the city of Sodom, according to chapter 14, verse 12. It's kind of like the proverbial moth that's attracted to the the flame of the the, the fire, and Lot's kind of just drawn to it. it. He's unable to hold his distance, and now he's getting getting very close. He's actually in the place that God's going to destroy. Do you see the progression? And so now we come to chapter 19, verse 1, and Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. He's not just living in the city. He's he's actually attained some kind of prominence in the city. Uh, He's some sort of an elder, or you might call him a city counselor of the city of Sodom. So he's got some, apparently some kind of leadership position here. He's got some authority. And because I I say that because the the city gate was typically the place where justice was administered. Uh, It was a place of business. And so what he's done, sadly, is he's abandoned his high calling. And now he's doing precisely the opposite of Psalm chapter 1. He he has walked into this council of the wicked. He's standing in the way of sinners, and he's now seating here in the seat of scoffers, or these mockers. His delight was not in the law of the Lord, and he was certainly not meditating on God's law day and night. And he is not a tree that is planted by rivers of water. His leaf is withering. His work is not prospering. And he's dangerously close here to being, as Psalm 1 says, like the chaff that the wind drives away. So he's done exactly what Psalm 1 has has warned him not to do. And you say, well, what was Lot's problem? What was Lot's problem? Well, if you read enough commentators and get enough opinions, you get all kinds of interesting ideas. One of them is, now now the, the farmers in our congregation might like this one, is that uh, one of the ideas is that it's a sin to live in a city. Yeah, some people have come to that conclusion. You know, it's, he should have never lived in a city. But that, that's not the point of this. <laughs> the, the, the point God is, not, is making is all people should not live in cities. Well, what would you have if no one lived in cities? Well, that's silly. Anyway, 
Uh, so it wasn't wrong to live in a city. Uh, well, then some say, well, it, it's, it's wrong for, for Lot to be a le- leader in the secular world. No, that's not the point either. Lot's problem was actually twofold. Number one, he went to Sodom with the wrong motive. He didn't go to Sodom to convert the city. God didn't send him there like, like God sent the prophet Jonah to preach in Nineveh. No, Lot's going there uh, to benefit from its ungodly way of life. The other problem is Sodom was a very wicked city. It's, it, okay, it's not the same as living in Hamilton, New Zealand. right? Different scenario here. Uh, Lot's move into Sodom was kind of like, imagine a Christian moving into a brothel. Or maybe if that illustration doesn't work for you, Imagine, imagine uh, a Christian going and uh, working in a business run by organized crime. Right? Th- this is this is a step up from living in Hamilton, New Zealand. Right? This was no place for a righteous man to be. Here's the problem: Lot had drifted for too long, and he had drifted too far, and because here he is now, now he's this very worldly Christian, he's in very serious trouble. He's in direct line with God's bullet, so to speak. He's standing in front of the cannon that's about ready to fire. (laughs) And now he actually needs to be rescued from God. And that's the second point I want to make, is not only do you need to beware of spiritual drifting, you need to beware of God himself. He is not a God to be trifled with. So let's read here in uh, Genesis 19. Verse 1, again, says, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth, and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. And then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he, that is Lot, pressed these angels strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. They said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But when the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door, and they struck with blindness the men 
who are at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? By the way, that's the angel. Angels said this to Lot. Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, uh, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people have become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place, for Yahweh is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting, or joking. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, or sorry, uh, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, Yahweh being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. (laughs) Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me, and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one, and my life will be saved? And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar, Then Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities in all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. We'll stop there. Why do you need to beware of God? Well, here's a point for us to consider, is that God's wrath for sinners is deserved. My friends, do you understand that God is not just a God of love? He's also a God of justice. He is a God of wrath. And when it comes to sinners, we as sinners deserve God's wrath. Now, what we have in this text here is homosexual practice going on. Now, that is sadly under debate by even people who claim to be Bible scholars. But you need to understand something. God's already told us what's going on here and why they they needed to be destroyed. Because homosexual practice here had actually become a dominant way of life in Sodom. The Bible reveals that homosexuality become one of the common perversions of the Canaanites, the, the people here living in this land, And in fact, look what God says. This is God's words to Israel. 
in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. I put it on the screen here for you. God says that if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nations that I am driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detest them. It's a crucial passage. It tells us what God thinks about the sin of homosexuality. Now, there are some characteristics of homosexuality that we can draw out of the text. And and by the way, things really haven't changed even today. So let me just point these out, and these are things you can expect even today in in the sin of homosexuality. Number one, we see here that homosexuality is accepted. It's an accepted practice. If you look at verses 4 and 5, it's interesting here, uh, here in the city of Sodom, Canaanite culture had actually descended into the depths of sexual violence. So it's not just something that they're, they're hiding in secret. It's, it's in the public, and it's, it's very common, very well known. The violent sexual perversion had fallen here on all the men of Sodom. Because notice what the Bible says. God says it over and over again. If you don't get the point once, he, he repeats himself because he says, the men of the city. He says, the men of Sodom. And, and he explains what that looks like because he says it's both the young and the old. It's all of the people to the very last man, he says. These are the ones who have surrounded Lot's house. So that's how accepted homosexuality was here in this city. So this violent depravity here of the Sodomites was extraordinary, and and Lot's home was encircled by this mob of lusting men, and it's not just old, it's not just middle-aged, it's even the young. And in in a a very ironic contrast to the the men of Sodom, we have one here who, who is Lot, righteous Lot. Isn't that ironic? And and by the way, I say righteous not because of what we see here in this text. I'm calling him righteous Lot because that's what the New Testament calls him. In fact, the Apostle Peter says this in 2 Peter 2, verse 6. Look what the Bible says, because it says, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes... He condemned, that's God condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to be happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented in his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Isn't that interesting? If we didn't have what Peter said, I wouldn't be calling Lot righteous. (laughs) Because when you look at Genesis 19, that's not the impression you get here, right? But Peter calls Lot righteous not just once, not just twice. He calls him righteous three times. So his readers can't miss the point. And, and, and then he goes on to describe Lot as someone who is distressed. That means literally Lot is worn down. He's wore out by the filthy lives of these sodomites. He's continually tortured in his righteous soul. 
You see, Lot was someone who was a conflicted soul. At the same time, he's offended by the wickedness of the Sodomites, but at the same time, he's allured. He's, he's attracted to the city for other reasons. He liked the prosperity. He liked the comforts. He liked the culture. He liked the prestige of being an elder or city counselor, but he was worn down by the filthy lives of these lawless men and, their, and the, the perpetual uh, torture that he's receiving in his soul by what he sees and what he hears. That's why some have called Lot a worldly Christian. So homosexuality is accepted, and we see that today, even in our own culture, we see, right, we see more and more governments and cultures around the world accepting it more and more, and now it's legal, and, and so the, the, it's, it's going to just get worse and worse. But it was something totally accepted in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But number two, take note here, is that homosexuality cannot be pacified. It cannot be placated. It cannot be mollified, whatever word you want to use there to describe this. Because verses 6 through 8, we see Lot's initial response. Some might say, well, that evokes a sense of heroism. I mean, this guy's standing up to the the city here. Because Lot goes out, uh, and he shuts the door behind him. And look, he says, hey, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Wow. That would have taken some guts. So here's Lot. He's kind of like standing like uh, human insulation between his his guest, whom he's trying to protect, and this wild mob that wants his guest. But any hint of heroism was eclipsed by his cowardly proposal here. Because notice what he does next. He he says, behold, uh, hey, I have two daughters. You can have them. Wow. Let me bring them out. You you can do to them as you please. Wow, what a hero. No, that's not the point. And so as a result, Lot placed his guest above his own family. So one of the points we need to see here is that homosexuality cannot be pacified. It cannot be placated. In fact, it gets worse in verse... Nine, we see homosexuality is harmful, very harmful. Fortunately, Lot's foolishness here was actually overrided by the mob's disrespectful response because notice they say, stand back. They said, hey, this this fellow's come to sojourn amongst us, and he's become the judge, being sarcastic kind of. And now we're going to deal worse with you than with them. These angels... You think they have a bad? We're going to deal worse with you, Lot. The Bible says they pressed hard. They drew near. They're going to break down Lot's door of his house. They're going to come in. They're going to take over. But Lot's assertion of morality offended these sodomites. And they're basically saying, hey, who died and made you God? How, How dare you be judge over us? You're just a foreigner. Well, evidently, Lot's muffled testimony in the fact that he did not run with these people and participate in their wicked deeds offended them. That shouldn't surprise us. That's, that's normal. 
you don't, if you don't run with sinners, well, you can expect to be scorned by them. And that's exactly what's going on here. And by the way, Peter said much the same in his own day when, in 1 Peter 4, he says, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the flood, same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Duh! No surprise. Little has changed today. You can expect the same. Sinners are offended because you're not giving hearty approval of their actions. And so in their eyes, how do they see it? How do they see that? Well, absence of approval is just you being judgmental. Or as Jesus says it in John 3, you know, men, they, the men love the darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And so how dare you shine the light on me? Don't do that. I don't like that. You're being judgmental. And so homosexuality becomes very harmful when you start shedding light and you're not accepting of them. Number four, we see homosexuality is punished. It's punished because it's very interesting in the, the very context of, the, of 2 Peter 2, which I read earlier, uh, after re, uh, referencing Lot's rescue, the Bible says there that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. My friends, that's true. He does. He does. See what we, And we see an example of this because God uses his angels to kind of reach out and they yanked Lot back into his house and they slammed the door. And then what they did was they flashed this blinding light so all the, the homosexuals and the bisexuals there are blinded, temporarily blinded. But it's interesting because the Bible says in, verse, in verses 10 and 11 here, that this God-given blindness didn't stop them. It didn't cool their lust. They keep coming. They're relentless. But nevertheless, God punished them and protected uh, Lot and his family and these angels here. But we see, number five, that homosexuality is persistent. Homosexuality is persistent. Verse 11, notice that in, in spite of their blindness, the homosexualities did not stop pursuing their evil because uh, even after they're, they're, they're blinded here, it says that they wore themselves out groping for the door. They wouldn't give up. They're still going to come, even though they can't see anything. They're, they're still going to try to get them and, and uh, pursue their evil. <clears throat> well, i got some good news for you because... That's that's a lot of bad news, bad stuff there going on, right? Here here's something else we can learn. That God's grace is undeserved. God's grace is undeserved. Now, how do we see his grace? Well, that's verses 12 through 22 here. And, and the first thing we see is that God's grace is seen in the angels' warning. God was gracious in sending these two angels to give to give a warning to Lot. What's the warning? He says, well, is there anybody else? Hey, do you have any sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city? Well, bring them out of the place. <laughs> We're about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people had become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. That's very gracious of God to give a warning. He didn't deserve that. 
So the angels confirmed what Yahweh already knew, of course. Naturally, Lot rushed to warn his future sons-in-law. But the Bible says it was to no avail. Even though they had seen something of Lot's righteousness, they actually, notice the Bible said they rejected Lot's warning. In fact, they, they thought he was joking. They thought he's jesting. They didn't actually believe that, it, that God was going to judge their city. I like what uh, one author said, F.B. Meyer had this to say, quote, People say that we must conform a little to the manners of our time. If we would exert a saving influence over men, it is a fatal mistake. If we live in Sodom, we shall have no power to save the people of Sodom. You must stand outside of them if you would save them from the gurgling rapids. You cannot level Sodom up, but it will certainly level you down and laugh at you when you try to speak. End quote. That's an F.B. Meyer's book on Abraham. Another commentator by the name of Mr. McIntosh, he had, he had this to say, quote, To attempt to reprove the world's ways while we profit by association with it is vanity. The world will attach very little weight to such reproof and such testimony. It is vain to speak of approaching judgment while finding our place, our portion, and our enjoyment in the very scene which is to be judged. End quote. Here's a lesson for us to be learned, my friends. Why would God command us, do not love the world, nor the things in the world? Come out from among them. Be separate. Right? Why, why does God say that sort of thing in the, in the Scripture? Because, well, one reason is, if your life contradicts the message, which one do you think the world's going to take? Which one do you think they're going to believe, your life or the message? Well, sadly, the world's going to ignore the message. They'll ignore the message. If your life actually contradicts what you're saying, you can expect them to ignore the message. They're not going to believe the gospel. You've got to be different. You've got to be different. Well, how do we see God's grace displayed here? Number two, well, God's grace is seen in Lot's rescue. It's seen in Lot's rescue. He didn't deserve this. And so what do we have? This is an interesting story, isn't it? You have um, silhouetted against the, the red dawn, we have two angels who have already warned Lot. And how did Lot take that warning? Well, it was nice that he went and talked to his, his pledged sons-in-law, even though they laughed at him. But the Bible says that Lot's lingering. And so we see here that the angels, each of them, two, these two angels, had to grasp the hands of two people. So they had to take Lot and his wife, and then Lot's two daughters, and they had to, here they are, we can see them running through the dark streets, out the city gates, and, and as the sun is rising in the morning, here they are, they, they've run outside the city that God's going to destroy. And the reason for this, by the way, is stated in the last part of verse 16, which says that Yahweh was merciful to him. He was merciful. Didn't give him what he deserved. <laughs> See, Lot and his family deserved to die with everybody else in Sodom and Gomorrah, but God was merciful. And so the angels 
use of force there was an act of mercy. He's hesitant. He's lingering. And so the angels had to drag them out of the city. Isn't that ironic? So Lot's deliverance was a divine exercise of grace, and it was due to no merit of his own. It was completely something undeserved. And sadly, once he's outside the city, the angels, what do we see them doing? In verse 17, they're saying, well, escape for your life. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. That's God's grace. He's giving them what they don't deserve. But we also see God's grace even in Lot's own self-centeredness. Very self-centered man, which worldly people tend to be. Now, there's many weird and wonderful things in the Sodom narrative here, but I think this is probably the most astonishing part to me when you see how, how Lot talks with God. And then you see God's astounding concession here. Look at verse 18. Look how Lot talks with God, starting at verse 18. So Lot, as he's speaking to these angels, he says, Oh no, my lords! Behold, your servant has found favor or grace in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, the city is near. That is, he's talking about the city of Zoar. It's near to flee to, and it is a little one, because that's what Zoar means, by the way. Zoar means little. So let me escape to this little city. It is, is it not a little one and my life will be saved? Do you see his self-centeredness? Unbelievable. It's a whimpering speech. It's a pathetic, cowardly speech. It astounds me. Because notice, first of all, he acknowledged that he had found favor or grace in God's sight and that God was kind to him in sparing him and his wife and his two daughters. And then he has the nerve to state that he's, he, he's doubting God's ability to preserve his life. Wow. Unbelievably, he had the nerve to ask God to send him to another city, which was kind of like just a mini Sodom in the same valley. And at this point, you might be wondering, uh, come on, God, just strike the dude dead. Put him out of my misery, if no one else's misery. Put him out of my misery. How do you deal, how do you put up with this guy? But God... He just astonishes us here again and grants Lot his request. (laughs) That is amazing grace. He didn't deserve that either. He's just rescued him, and he gives him more grace, even though the guy's being a arrogant, good-for-nothing, whatever you want to call him. But what do we see next, though? We see a God of justice. That's number three. You need to understand something, my friends, that God's justice is always right. In fact, it was Abraham who ends up asking the question, Will the God of the universe do what is right? Abraham knew the answer to that rhetorical question. Of course he will. He's always going to do what's right. 
He can't overlook sin. He's going to punish and deal with sin. Now, we're not exactly sure how all this destruction took place. Some people try to explain it away as just a natural phenomenon. I'm not going there. But one thing I can be sure of, that the firestorm that happens on Sodom and Gomorrah and that whole valley there was entirely due to God's order. The, the text tells us, in fact, twice, it's Yahweh that did it. If you look at verses 24 and 25, because it talks about Yahweh's the one who rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah this sulfur and the fire. And notice it is from Yahweh. <laughs> so he overthrows those cities, all the valley, all the inhabitants, even the plants. <laughs> so the judgment here, don't lose sight of who's doing this. Not the angels. Judgment had its origin in God himself. It was decided by God. It's executed by God. And so the fire fell upon, notice it falls on the land. It it incinerated all the plants, all the animals. And so even the very cities themselves became scorched graveyards. And in my reading of this, by the way, it's interesting. Uh, A lot of people believe where Sodom and Gomorrah used to be, is at the southern part of the Dead Sea. If you, if you look at a map, geographical map, you'll notice that the southern part of the Dead Sea is very shallow. Some say about 20 feet, roughly. 20 to 30 feet, the deepest it gets. And so a lot of people think that's where Sodom and Gomorrah used to be. And in fact, uh, it, it burned it up so much that it even burned the ground down so that the, so that the lake spread out. Well, that's God's justice. He gave them what they deserved. Does God want Christians to live in Sodom, though? Here's a question for you to ponder. Hey, God's not against cities, okay? All right? He's against the sin, right? It's the sin was the issue, not, not how many pieces of brick or concrete or wood is there. That's not the point. God's not against wood and bricks and concrete, (laughs) right? But I suppose, you think about this, for the right person with the right motives, there there might be a time to live in Sodom. Obviously, God sent the prophet Jonah into a very another wicked city called Nineveh to preach against its wickedness, and God saved them. So preaching a message of impending destruction there in, in order the city might repent and and uh, uh, that's repent of its sin, that is, and see God and be spared, was that was a good thing. That's what God wanted to happen there. And that call may come to certain individuals at uh, the proper time. But I do know this, my friends, it's always a proper time to flee from Sodom's sin. Always. God does not love sin. He hates sin, even against his own character. And so, my friends, the time is now. The need is urgent. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. That includes the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, and the pride of life. Don't love those things. Love God. And by the way, this is what I, I want to urge on you. If, if you happen to be one of these people playing with wickedness, playing with sin, sin is no game, my friends. Evil is going to be punished eventually. 
God is the judge. He, the Bible says he is no respecter of persons. All whose sin will be punished if they have not turned from their sin and, fl- and, and, and then fled for safety to Jesus Christ. He's your only hope. He's your only safety. Let me just speak to you if you are a believer who lives in a place like Sodom. While he lived in Sodom, Lot must have thought that he had gained some considerable recognition in the city. After all, he's sitting in the gate. He's got the position. Perhaps you too maybe have bartered away your own faith and the world's accepted you as endorsing their lifestyle. In fact, you might think of yourself uh, as a secret agent Christian. I say that because I remember uh, someone in our church many, many years ago. You don't know who she is. I remember her giving her testimony, and she was saying, I thought of myself as a secret agent Christian. Nobody in my workplace knew I was a Christian. Wow, is that a badge of honor? I hope not. That's the way she used to think of it. I don't know, maybe, maybe Lot's thinking of himself as some secret agent Christian. You know, the, the evilness and the wickedness is bothering him in his heart, but not doing anything about it. Well, perhaps you're kind of like that. The world's accepted you. Maybe even the devil's accepted you. You think the devil would be happy if you just kind of play, you know, a secret agent Christian and go about having no influence, no light shining before the world, no salt influencing the world? I think Satan would be quite happy for you to do that. I think he'd welcome you. Because in your disobedient state, you're actually representing him more than you re- represent the cause of Christ. But when Lot finally went beyond just being tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard, and to, to actually speaking out against their wickedness, what did the world think of him? They resented him. They threatened him. They mocked him. They scorned him. And so if you are in this position, my friend, take note, you are not winning the world. Sodom is actually winning you. You're being conformed, as Romans 12, 2 says, you're being conformed to the world. You're being pressed into its mold. You need to get out of that. You need to flee and flee for your life. Because you're, you're right in the firing line. God's firing line. My friend, I also want to speak to you if you're one of these Sodomites. If Lot was barely saved, what chance is there for you if you're one of these Sodomites? By Sodomite, I mean the the unbelievers here. Well, my friends, the best I can hope for is that somehow you get close enough to a believer like Lot that can actually warn you of God's judgment that is coming upon you. That's your only hope. Because the, the Sodomites would have got it from nowhere else, would they? No, no hope whatsoever except for a warning from God. And so you need to flee from the destruction. My friends, if, if you laugh at these kind of warnings, you're not a clever person. You're a fool. The Bible calls you a fool. If you laugh at these kind of warnings, you are willfully ignorant and incredibly foolish. So my friends, I warn you, flee from the wrath to come. It's real. It is real. Yes, God is love. 
But God is also justice. He is a just God. And we as sinners, are we deserve His wrath. We deserve judgment. And the only hope we have is, is Jesus bore your wrath. That's the only hope. See, when He died on the cross, He bore God's wrath. That's what propitiation means. He became your wrath absorber so that God poured His wrath on His Son, Jesus Christ, so that you don't have to burn forever in the lake of fire. See, if you want to think you're fine and you're a good person, and I can just go on living my life like these Sodomites did, that's what's going to happen. Eternal death in the lake of fire. Eternal flames, suffering, and torment is what awaits you, my friend. But you don't have to go there. You don't have to die with the Sodomites. You can be rescued. You can be rescued. There's hope. So I encourage you, if you're one of these, go with Christ. Let Him take you by the hand, so to speak, and deliver you from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that You are not just love. You're far more than that. You're a God of justice. You're a faithful God who does not change. You cannot overlook sin and you 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 deal with sin and and we're thankful for how you have dealt with it in your son jesus christ we're thankful for your love for the world and sending jesus christ so that uh, we would not have to receive this eternal condemnation but for those of us who believe we have eternal life thank you for giving us what we do not deserve May we understand just how serious sin is. It's not to be trifled with. It's not a game. That evil will be punished. And you are the great judge. And you're not a respecter of persons. And sin is punished. But may we trust in Jesus Christ who has dealt with our our sin. Turn from our sin. Flee to Christ. May we understand that worldliness is something that displeases you. May we not love these these strong other desires, but may our great love be you and you alone. Would you give us that kind of heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.